Hi, my name is Steve Douglas, and you're listening to Beyond the Box. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the the Box. Well, what podcast is this, Ray? <laughs> well, folks, I have a special guest in store for you today. <laughs> That's right. You, you know him as Piano Steve. Some know him as Hey That Guy. I know him as Friend. But some know him one, as the absentee co-host. But some people know him as the absentee co-host of Beyond the Box, 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 Box. There Welcome you back, go. my brother. Thanks, man. It's good to be back. It's always and, good. You know, it's so ironic because I talked earlier in the year about how my work schedule was just so busy. And then things turned out that I was going to be able to have um, a, a lighter schedule during the summer. And I thought that meant that you and I'd be able to podcast a lot. It just hasn't happened. Life happens sometimes, man. I totally it understand. It's been a crazy year for both of us. and But uh, you've been holding down the fort really well with lots of uh, key interviews. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, we're not going to talk about this topic on this podcast. I mean, it's not the main topic that we're going to cover but I, I have to say it is still ironic to me that of all the topics we talk about, the one that consistently gets a huge amount of pushback is nonviolence. And, and in that funny pushback, that's a key word. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mean it's, that. They're, test, they're testing us. That's what they're doing. They're pushing back going, will they push me back? Will they not? That's right. They want to see. Yeah. And we just keep turning the other virtual cheek. There. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I, sometimes I turn, I, I turn the wrong cheek and they go, Oh wait, wait, wait. I'm not yeah, exactly. Let me yeah. erase that you, comment and turn the right cheek and not the bottom cheek. Yes. We don't want to moon our listeners. That's we'll, right. We'll Trust me. And our other. listeners don't want to, don't want us to moon them either. <laughs> But it is good to be back with you, man. We've been trying for a while to to get back here in the saddle and and podcast together. Back um, in the saddle again. And this is one of the reasons why we don't because you start singing. <laughs> See, this, is, this is what I miss, Steve. Because when I when I do these bumpers by myself, yeah, for instance, exactly. There, yep. There's there's not. I don't get the interplay. I, I'm you know I'm trying to do something on my own. And the other day, I realized that I had fallen into a rut, Uh-oh. and so of saying the exact same thing every time. And I thought, this is so stupid. Uh-huh. So I just <laughs> broke out of my box and tried something different with on the introduction to the Derek flood episode. So we'll see what happened. Cool. Yeah, it, it is. It's hard. I, I know when I did my interview with Robin Perry a couple months ago or whenever that was, uh, it, yeah, doing bumpers by yourself is just no fun. It's not, it's no fun at all. It is got to have each other. So, as always, it is great to be back with you, my brother, whether it's with a microphone, whether it's sitting at a restaurant, whether it's hanging out together, wherever, it's always Absolutely. good to be in your company, my man. 
Well, it's always good to be with you too, and I look forward to these conversations. It's uh, it's always nice to reintroduce myself to listeners that have joined us over the last few months that haven't ever heard me before. You know? Well, you know, and it's always fun for me to, you know, when we when we have some of these topics, it's you yeah, know, you know, we we just have the greatest. We've always had the greatest conversations, Steve, and just mm-hmm. you've always been both a, um, uh, you know, a source of not just like inspiration and encouragement and information, but also mm-hmm. just at times, just a great sounding board to, to just reflect things off of and go, man, yeah. that sounds a lot more stupid when I get it out, out, out of, outside <laughs> of my mind, you know, or, Oh wow, yeah. that's genius. Wow. When that yeah. was in my mind, I thought it was crazy, but now that I'm saying it, Whoa, you know, so that's, that's usually what ends up happening is you come out with stuff that's just flat out genius. Well, I don't mean me. I mean, it just in the, you know, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I, I mean you. I mean you. No, it's it's great. I I love our conversations too, and it, it it's just it's amazing to me the the ground that we've covered. Uh, I I keep threatening to go back and listen to old episodes to see how much we've changed over the years. Well, there's sometimes we get emails from people saying, "You said in such and such, and it'll be an episode yeah, exactly from like three years ago," and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? The truth is, I don't even think that anymore. But Right. How do you respond to that? You know, like how, do you, I know. how do you say, well, I, I used to think that, but that was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then we end up sounding like politicians, you know, it's like oh. I was, I was before, uh, ultimate reconciliation. Before, no, I was, I was against ultimate reconciliation before I was for it. I was for eternal conscious torment before I was against it. And see, here is another reason why I miss Steve Sensenig because of the excellent, the segues. The excellent segues <laughs> that this guy comes up with. <laughs> The, what an amazing segue into the topic of conversation this evening. <laughs> mm-hmm. I try my best, Ray. We, uh, oh, what was it? Tonight is Monday night. It is the third, the third presidential debate. Yes. Oh Lord. That just happened tonight. Much to, yep. uh, much to my chagrin. I'm sorry. I was busy watching the voice and then breaking Amish. Um, you know, I, breaking Amish. What is that? Yeah, don't ask. Just don't don't okay. even ask. My wife okay. would roll her eyes and tell you, just don't even ask. For those of you out there who are watching Breaking Amish, I, I just I just want to give my excuse. Okay, just a quick excuse. I got addicted to the show, regretted my addiction to the show, but I have to keep going back for one more hit until this season's over. Wow, it, it's just. I got I got to get everything reconciled before I can move on. So, so there I am. I've confessed. Hmm. Father, forgive I, me for I've sinned. <laughs> be absolved of all guilt, my child, and go and sin no more. I I uh, I, I don't even want to know what that show's about. <laughs> well, I've I've never heard of it. Though, here's so what's me- here's what's messed me up. The show was supposed <laughs> to be about five five people, five coming of age adults who were leaving the Amish church and one was leaving uh-huh. the Mennonite church to uh-huh. go see the big city of New York. Okay. And so me, because one of my favorite shows ever on TV is this show called Amish out of order, which is just like one of my absolute favorite shows. And it's just an amazing, oh, such an amazing show. I mean, I've, I've, after episodes of that show, I found myself crying or just continually thinking for like a week or two about what I, what I saw Wow. So TLC kind of plays off that show because the show, the, the Amish out of order came on the national geographic channel. And okay. So breaking Amish TLC is kind of, you know, found how popular that show became. So they Uh. decided to make their own version of it. Well, me, you know, thinking, okay, this is going to be good. 
I start watching this show and it's like five teenagers, early twenties. One guy is, is in his thirties that are leaving the Amish to go to New York city. Mm-hmm. And as the show unfolds, you find out that people aren't who that, who you thought they were and that there was people that lied to get on the show. And, but anyway, oh my goodness. what wow. it does, it, it, it's like a really cheap imitation of Amish out of our uh, Amish yeah, out of water. It's like a really cheap imitation but okay. the thing is, is you get invested <laughs> and <laughs> as bad as you want to turn it off, you got to uh, find out what happens to such and such and what lie they're uh-huh. telling and yada, yada, yeah. yada. So all of that wow. to say, I didn't watch the presidential debate. I'm not voting anyway. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to figure out how to unvote, how to unregister to vote. I've been oh, sweet. researching yeah. that on the internet for the, yeah. some people are rolling possible? their eyes right now. Actually it is. I'm working on that this week to unregister. Some people are rolling yeah. their eyes right now because they probably don't listen to this, this podcast for very long and don't understand where we're coming from, but bear with us, right. folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I caught about the last 10 minutes or so of the debate, and I still don't know why I turned it on. Uh, it's, the whole process just makes me so sick because it's, it, you know, like, for example, I, I posted on Facebook at the end of the debate. In their closing comments, Romney made a statement he said, Washington is broke, and I know how to fix it. And I posted on my Facebook status, I said, Obama in 2008, quote, Washington is broke, I know how to fix it. <laughs> Romney in 2012, quote, Washington is broke, I know how to fix it. At what point do we realize that these guys don't have a clue what they're doing, and we need to just stop listening to these promises and stop believing that they really know how to fix Washington, because I don't think, not only do I think that they don't know how to fix Washington, I don't think they're really interested in fixing Washington. They're interested in pushing their agenda through Washington, and that's a whole different ballgame. Well, for me, I think what the most disturbing part of this whole thing, uh, you know, I I totally stay out of politics anymore, but what what really has gotten my dander up, and yours as well, I think. (laughs) You know me pretty well. Is... uh, is the evangelical involvement yes. with the political process, and especially oh me living in Boone, North Carolina. Uh-huh. Um, I, I happen to live in the same, I have the same town as Franklin Graham. Who, who, who I must point out, I think looks an awful lot like Mitt Romney, and I've never seen the two of them in the same place at the same time. Actually, I'm sitting here on my computer screen <laughs> looking at a picture of them side by side, and that oh, actually, are you really? that actually was a very good... That that was a very good observation that I'd never noticed, but you're right. They do look similar. You never notice that? Every time I see Mitt Romney, I think, gosh, it looks like Franklin Graham. I have never thought that, but you know what? I'll probably never look at him the same way again. <laughs> probably never again. But you know, this whole um, Franklin Graham uh, hosted Mitt Romney at Billy Graham's house. A lot of you probably already know this. Mm-hmm. Um, hosted him at his house, and Billy Graham told... Mitt Romney that he would do whatever he could to support his bid for the presidency. Right. And, and he said, you can quote me on that. And you can quote me on that. And then mm-hmm. within hours, the, the Billy Graham evangelistic association website, which had previously had Mormons listed as a cult on their website mm-hmm. in their kind of spiritual help section. Mm-hmm. Um, they removed the page from their website within hours of Billy Graham offering his endorsement of Mitt Romney. And then Franklin Graham goes on Pierce Morgan tonight, last week, and when (laughs) Pierce Morgan tries to say, hey, are are Mormons Christians? That's all I'm asking. I'm just asking, are Mormons Christians? And uh, Franklin Graham dodged that question every which way he could and basically made the election about nothing more, 
not only the election, but about um, interfaith dialogue. It was almost like, it was almost like, I don't care what Mitt Romney believes as long as he's against gay people. That basically was how oh, it came wow. off. As yeah. long as he will, as long as he will make sure that gay marriage doesn't get passed, mm-hmm. then I, I'll throw 110% of my support behind him. So much so that when you go to the Billy Graham website right now, billygram.org, on the, on the homepage of billygram.org, out of the five feature, feature pictures and stories, three of them are about the vote, and two of them fe- feature Mitt Romney's picture. Whoa. Um, and I'm going, okay, now wait a minute. This is a 501c3 organization. And, and let me let me just throw right. this out. I know I'm, I'm going to shut up here in just a minute, Steve. But <laughs> no, you're fine, man. Keep going. Let me throw this out. I work at a Christian bookstore in the same town that Franklin Graham lives in. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of putting myself out there with this episode. I'm just saying. Sure. Um, and it's I'm doing it with a little bit of trepidation, to be quite honest. But mm-hmm. I just got to call a spade a spade. Yeah. And I am totally bothered by the fact that a 501c3 nonprofit organization like Samaritan's Purse, like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, can get so deeply involved in politics while remaining Mm -hmm. tax exempt. And even beyond that, beyond just the the legalities of it, Mm -hmm. is the fact that all of this money that's coming into the Billy Graham Evangelistic right. Association in the name right. of propagating and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. With all of that money going in there, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has placed ads in mm-hmm. swing states, in mm-hmm. the major newspapers of several swing states. In big, right. We're talking big ads, like feature ads. Right, full-page ads. Full-page ads, like yeah. big things in mm-hmm. some of the major newspapers in swing states. Basically, without saying vote for Mitt Romney, giving telling people to vote for Mitt Romney for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I'm right, thinking exactly. to myself, yeah, there's there's a little bit of semantics involved there. They claim, you know, well, we're not actually stating a candidate, but it's pretty clear. But when Billy Graham says, saying. "I endorse this candidate," and then he gets on there and says, yeah. "Vote for biblical values such as uh, mar- defining marriage as a man and a woman," right? Um, exactly. You know, supporting the state of Israel—that was one of the statements he put in there. Uh-huh. When when he goes on there and does that, he to me, this is my thing. I, well, I've got a lot of other issues, but here's my <laughs> here's my main one. My main issue is how can you take money that's coming into your organization under the auspices right. of furthering the gospel right and use it to take out political ads in major newspapers in different states well it it begs the question do they define that as somehow furthering as preaching the gospel, the gospel i think you're yeah right. and that's the that's the big problem there is that the political system and evangelicalism have become so intertwined um, or, or, or I should say it this way: evangelicalism has so immersed itself in the political system that they then conflate the notion of preaching the gospel or defending the gospel or whatever they call it with certain political stances. And so, to them, defending marriage, defending marriage uh, as defined as only between a man and a woman, is to them a critical part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which just it opens up so many cans of worms, and you know, I, I agree with you. It's very troubling that they are using funds that are given for one cause, for a cause that really is not the same. 
you know, political action is not furthering the gospel. No. Trying to legislate morality is not furthering the gospel. Mm-mm. And, you know, I... It's funny, my wife asked me uh, what we were going to talk about tonight, and I told her the, the topic, and I said, uh, you, you can bet I'm going to pull out the give to Caesar what is Caesar's line a few times in this episode, <laughs> because it, this is the problem that I have with it, is there there are things that are of God, and there are things that are of Caesar, and those two are not compatible, mm-hmm. and they are not uh, the same. They're not, they cannot be conflated. So... If you're going to participate in Caesar's system, you cannot do that under the the guise of somehow furthering the the kingdom of God. It's so, I tell you, it is so indicative of the whole Constantinian shift that happened in Christianity. Uh And Uh we've never recovered from it. We've never recovered from the, the church and the state merging under Constantine. I mean, we now have people in America that will continually remind you, evangelicals will continually remind you, oh, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. You right. know, da, 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 da. They'll continually remind you that because they want a theocracy. That's really what yes. they want. I'm convinced yeah. they want a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that is, in my mind, that's not only downright dangerous, but right. it completely, you have to compromise the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. To try and further the political agenda that they're furthering. I mm-hmm. do not think it's possible. I mean, like Franklin Graham in February said, well, most Christians would consider Mormonism a cult. Right. To now we're in October, seven, yep. eight months later, and he totally refuses to even answer whether or not Mormons are Christians. And he, and here's what he said on Pierce Morgan. He said that he, he compared... The difference between Mormons and Christians, in some ways, he compared the difference between Mormons and Christians to be similar to the differences between Protestants and Catholics. Huh. And I, because basically, here's how he said it. Now, I don't know that he meant to draw this this distinction, but he did. Mm-hmm. He, he put it out there. He said, he said, well, it's all a matter of doctrine. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, you know, Protestants differ from Catholics. You know, we would differ from Mormons. Da, 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 da. I'm like... You know, I, I I think you're being disingenuous there because I don't think mm-hmm. you ever called Roman Catholicism a cult on your website. Right. <laughs> Nor do I think you ever would have. So hmm. to me, it's... Um, it's Although it, I know lots of evangelicals that would. It, it's doing... Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you there. But <laughs> the thing that's so bothersome yeah. is the fact that you're willing to change... You're, yes. you're willing to change your stances on things yeah. simply. It's fine to change things. We all change. Yeah. Right. But to change it for the purpose of political expediency. Mm-hmm. To me, if you want to support Romney, you support Romney in your private life. But do not use your mm-hmm. public platform. If you feel that God's given you that to further the gospel, do not use your public platform to further a political agenda. I'm sorry, yeah. but I just I can't see it. Yeah, it's um, – and I've been wondering about this through the whole process because the issue, if I recall correctly, and I can't, I can't think off the top of my name of the names of, of people who are outspoken on this issue, but the question about Mormonism versus uh, evangelicalism came up during the primaries when Romney was not the guaranteed Republican nominee. Once he became the nominee, that conversation stopped. And now, because he's the anti-Obama, 
suddenly nobody wants to talk about whether or not they're concerned about his Mormonism. Now, I, I know there are some Christians who still are very concerned about Romney's Mormonism. And I, uh, in fact, I saw a comment on Facebook the other day, someone who's a Christian um, stated that they were concerned that if Romney became president, that polygamy would become legal, <laughs> which, which to, to me shows some ignorance on a lot of levels because the, the Mormon church doesn't even embrace polygamy right, anymore. Right. I mean, so it's, it's kind of, there's a, an ignorance of history there, um, and I, I certainly don't want to turn this podcast into a discussion of whether or not Mormonism is a cult or is not right. a cult. That's not a, what we're I, talking about. Yeah, that's not that's not the question. And, and I'm not uh, – well, I may end up making a statement at some point during this podcast to tip my hand on that. But I just – I think it, your your point about political expediency is the critical point. Right. That there are a lot of people who it's an issue for them until – it's their only anti-democratic option. Well, uh, anti-democrat option. Perfect example, Steve. Here's where it bothers me. It's not whether or not Mormonism is a cult. Just like you said, that's not the issue. But for instance, the fact that you would go in one breath from calling Mormonism a cult, right, to in the next breath having Mitt Romney as as your commencement speaker at Liberty University, right? Okay, something's wrong with that picture. When you go from in your literature saying that something is a cult to right. now because they're the Republican nominee, you're uh-huh. going to be willing to have them address your Christian students who you're trying to send out into Christian ministry. Right. What meanwhile, while saying out of the other side of your mouth that Mormons are a cult, mm-hmm. it, to me it's just mind-boggling. I I just it's so like it's so foreign to me now. It's hard for yeah. me to even wrap my mind around how. How how the mind of a political evangelical works. David Koresh must be rolling around in his grave in frustration that he never got invited to be a commencement speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, John John McCain, it took him a while. He he got some hatred, but when you when you, all you got to do, David Koresh, is become the Republican nominee. If you become the Republican nominee, you can you can get church platforms. You know, you could probably you could probably be an atheist as long as you're willing to say that homosexuality is a sin and that homosexuals shouldn't be able to get married. If you'll say those two things, you can pretty much get away with what you want to. And make sure you're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Right, exactly. Yeah. See, David David Koresh went about it all wrong. He holed himself up in that compound in Waco, just kind of sequestered himself. He should have gotten out there on the political trail and run for president, and he would have been fine. (laughs) <laughs> I, I tell you, man, it's sometimes you wonder, sometimes you just wonder. And, and the truth of the matter is, I, I really don't care. I'm not for Romney. Yeah. I'm not for Obama. I'm not against either one of them, whatever, because in my, where I'm at, I, I just don't think God's kingdom is established by, you know, political right. regime changes. So, no. and that's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Ray, because that is the, the, the big picture here is that there is a sense in which many, many people believe that God is somehow going to do something for this country if we elect a certain president. And I I just, you know, here, here's the problem, too. We're, we're talking about, you know, legislating morality and all that kind of stuff. The, the problem that I have with it is that so much of what is being put forth by evangelicalism as 
morality and as what they, you know, their political agenda is so frequently based on an Old Testament view of, of law and sin. Yep. And, you, you know, the, you, I'm sure you've seen the arguments, Ray, and, and most of us that interact with people outside of evangelicalism have come across these arguments, and they're, they're valid arguments, they're valid questions being asked. Why, in the case of homosexuality, for example, why do we claim that the Bible is very clear on this issue of homosexuality because of some verses in Leviticus, and yet we won't stand up for the other verses that are in Leviticus? You know, why are we not passing dietary restrictions in this country? Why are we not fighting to um, keep people from wearing uh, clothing of mixed fibers? Why are we not... Uh, trying to pass laws banning men from cutting the corners of their beard or from getting their tattoos, you know, engraved on their body. You know, it, there's there are so many things, uh, and I realize the shellfish uh, lobby is huge in Washington, and that's probably why we don't try to... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, there, there are so many things out of context there that even if you... Even if you want to say the Bible is clear on this, well, then you've got to use that same standard to apply to other things as well. Well, to to be fair, I think I think that most evangelicals that are giving that argument would probably be using like the Leviticus the Leviticus verses. While they would use those, what they would how they would respond to what you just said was they yeah. would go to Romans and they would go to you know some of Paul's other places where he talked about. You know, these are the people that will be thrown in the lake of fire, and he includes homosexuals in there. In Romans one, where he talks about the reprobate mind, men laying down right. with men, and you know, I think that's where they would go. But here, here's maybe what I would say: is why why are we willing to turn a blind eye to some things Paul said about women, for instance, right? And realize that that's not culturally relevant anymore, mm-hmm. um, and yet we out of the same out of the other side of our mouth we'll read the same letters of Paul or mm-hmm. you know and, and there's controversy as to whether even Paul wrote some of the things that right that, that say what we're talking about but mm-hmm. um you know why why will we turn a blind eye to that and say well that was just a cultural moment you know right. that's not a universal standard for the church but yet we we won't read other things that he said that may be um in less frequency and, and, yeah. and maybe another one. Here's, here's another issue for me. If we're going to talk about homosexuality for a minute is why will we take the clear command of Jesus about divorce? Mm-hmm. Why will we not take that serious at all? And it's totally, it's totally mm-hmm. overlooked in the evangelical church. Right. I mean, you can, you can be divorced three and four times and still be fully embraced and still be even in leadership sometimes in the church. Mm-hmm. And yet homosexuality, which is something that Jesus never said one word about. Right. And we only right. have the words of Paul as far as the New Testament. Right. Why will we, why will we get our panties in a wad about mm-hmm. that when we're not willing to look at the clear command of Jesus about divorce? And like, it's just such a double standard, man. Well, it is, exactly, and, and that's been my frustration, and, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it again here, full disclosure, I was divorced uh, and then remarried, just say that, make it clear that I'm not hiding anything. If people want to say that they're in defense of marriage, that would be the area to attack first, I think. 
It, well, if, that, if you if you want to say that you're concerned about the sanctity of marriage, then you should be passing every law you can possibly think of to prevent people from getting divorced. I, I couldn't agree more, Steve. Because I mean, if you you know if you take the teaching of Jesus about taking the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone right. else's, it right. seems like that would be much more applicable to how we're going to save marriage than trying to get other people who don't necessarily even claim to be Christians mm-hmm. to fix what we find wrong with their marriage. Well, and didn't Paul make some statements with reference to the notion that if we can't judge within our own body, yes, uh, that right. we have no right judging others? That's exactly right. You know, if if we can't, if the church cannot even take care of its own people, why in the world is it going out there and yelling at other people who aren't in the church for doing something that the church considers to be wrong? I, I will say this about the whole gay marriage thing, and th- this is something that I, I wish more people would talk about, to be honest. If marriage is so sacred, and I do believe there is a sacredness to it. I'm not saying it's not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm using rhetoric for an argument here, not sure. casting doubt on my view. <laughs> if marriage is so sacred, then why are we not just concerned about how the church views marriage and who gives a rip about how the state views marriage? Exactly. If it's sacred, it belongs to God. It's not a civil thing. It's not a state thing. So who cares how the state defines marriage? That's not what we're worried about. Our question is, how does God define marriage, and how does that affect the church? Exactly. And, and if, if you focus on that, you know, because it, why, why that issue? Why not anything else that you want to pick and choose? You know, like we said, why, why not divorce? Why not talk about that? Why not try to pass laws to prevent that or or pass laws that make it harder for people to get married until you really know that they're serious about it? You know, I mean, I, I mean, it's I could be totally wrong here. This is just me venturing into the land of uh, of hypotheticals. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you ask that question, why why that topic? It doesn't it seem to you like. The whole everything that the church focuses on when it comes to sin all has to do with sex. I mean, it's it's adultery, it's fornication, and it's homosexuality. It's like, and then it's pornography. It's anything, anything that has to do with sex. Those are the major sins. And you wonder, you just Mm -hmm. wonder how much of that has to do with repression, with what we've been taught about sex, that it's this dirty thing or that, or that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how much of that is our own issue that all of this stuff almost addiction to to uh, sinful sex or however we want to say it. <laughs> um, how much of that is just our own issue and our own, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you continually hear mm-hmm. sex, 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 and don't do this mm-hmm. and don't do that, and it all is revolving around sex, you right. got to wonder if there's not a deeper issue with the leadership and the yeah. and the people that are that are throwing this out there. Well, and we know that there is, Ray, because you look at cases like Ted Haggard and you see someone so adamantly opposed to something that you find out later they were participating in themselves. So and here here's my thing. Can I go off on a tangent? You go for it, buddy. Because here this goes so long so beautifully with something I was just thinking about the other day. The problem that we have in the church is, and and I'm just going to expand a little bit on what you said, it's not so much just that we focus too much on sex. The problem is that we focus too much on sin. Now, I I know a lot of people right there are going, well, wait a minute, you know, sin is a serious thing. I I don't 
counter that argument at all. I'm not saying it's not serious. My problem is if you focus on sin, and that's what you spend all of your energy and all your time debating and discussing and attacking and fighting, guess what you're going to end up spending most of your time involved in? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the, the way I look at it is, uh, like, for example, sexual sin is a great, great point because I, uh, and Ray, we've talked about this before with regard to the Christian bookstores and the, the books that are written toward men especially, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, Everybody wants to write those, these books about how men struggle with sexual sin and how sexual sin is such a struggle for men and lust and, and you know, just it's constantly reiterating the fact that all men struggle with this. And these books are written with the pretense that they're offering a solution, but they're not offering a solution because what they're offering is a a suggestion that men try to fight against something that Jesus has already taken care of. Mm, mm. And and it comes down to an identity issue. It's like the cliche, you know, uh, we're sinners that are saved by grace. No, we're not. We are not sinners anymore because Jesus took care of sin for us. Do we still sin? That's a great question to ask, and we've discussed that on the on other episodes in this podcast, and there are a lot of people who would say, yes, we do, and I would have to say I'm still kind of uh, on the fence about that. But are we sinners? There you're talking about your identity. Mm -hmm. Who are you? If you want to say, I am a child of God who still sins, that's a whole different statement. And it's not just semantics. Saying I am a sinner says, first and foremost, I identify with sin. Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to identify with, right? We're supposed to identify with Christ who knew no sin. Mm-hmm. Christ who defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the grave. That's where our identity comes from. So in, in the way that the church paints this picture of you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're never going to be perfect until heaven. You're never going to overcome sin in this lifetime. You are a sinner. Well, what do we expect to come out of that except more sin? And Paul attacks that very view when he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. In the strongest possible terms he can use in the Greek language, he says, hell no. Yeah. We should not continue in that direction. So why do we continue to focus on it? Why do we spend all of our energy trying to fight against homosexuality when that's not even the biggest issue that should be concerning anybody? Don't you don't you think so much of it is maybe goes back to even what we believe about God in that we don't yes. we don't really believe God's love is unconditional. Right. And we therefore don't. We've got to make sure we address sin and clean people mm-hmm. up to present them to the holy God who will not accept them unless they're clean. Right. It's almost, Which, it's almost yeah. like we focus, <laughs> we focus on the whole sin thing because yep. we think that that's what God focuses on. Right. And, and you're absolutely right because if our view of God is one who cannot bear to look on our sin— cannot bear to even be around us, doesn't want anything to do with us as long as we're tainted by sin, then the issue becomes cleaning up our sin in order to approach him. And that's not our job to do. 
But you know, it's, it's like, not our job in ourselves, and it's not our certainly not our job to clean others. It's like more and more, I'm even wondering if like because this this has been something I've been thinking on a while. You know, we did an episode, I don't know, three years ago or something like that on what about homosexuality, right? Wherein we we said yes, we believe homosexuality is a sin, but it's just one among many, and God loves you know, and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. More and more, I'm just asking myself the question: Is it even necessary to label? What is right. sin and what's not exactly. sin? Exactly. That's it, exactly what I'm getting at. Is it necessary for me to, you know, because what it does to me, what some of these things cause me to do mm-hmm. is to polarize and isolate myself mm-hmm. from from the very people that Jesus found himself hanging around with. Right. And, exactly. you know, I, I've heard so many times from the conservative side of, of the table, you know, well, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. That's but you know cool. when you start when you start doing that and you start trying to parse that out, you find that it's impossible because I, yeah. like for instance i had a there's a guy that I know really well that is very conservative and um when when uh proposition one came up in North Carolina, the vote just a few months ago mm-hmm. about um you know gay marriage, and there was right so much controversy over that and so much polarization over that topic. And he was saying to me, well, you know, we got, you know, because I was telling him, I, I was like, I, you know, I just don't know that this is helpful. And he said, well, you know, we got to, we got to stand for what's right. Mm-hmm. We've got to love the sinner, but hate the sin. I said, well, you know, it's interesting you should say that. Mm-hmm. How many gay friends do you have? <laughs> well, none. How many gay, fr- how many gay people do you hang around? Well, none. It's like, okay, so you're telling me that you can love people at a distance? Right. So I, I can maintain a barrier between me and them because of their sin. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you can't. If you're right. going to love people, you got to be involved in their lives. And I tell you, for me, what's totally changed my whole perspective on this whole issue is having mm-hmm. gay friends. Mm-hmm. I, I've got two sets of two, two, um, two gay couples that, that my wife and I are friends with. Mm-hmm. And it's totally changed my perception yeah. of, of those people and of that lifestyle. Because before, right. what I was always taught was, if someone's in a homosexual relationship, they're mm-hmm. probably having illicit sex with twenty other people. They're having right, uh-huh. gay gay orgies, and yeah. they're probably they can't gonna, possibly be committed. Yeah, can't possibly be in a monogamous relationship. They're probably right. you know they're probably molesting their kids and uh-huh. sacrificing goats on their on their <laughs> fireplace, and you know all this kind of stuff. And then yeah. I met I met two gay couples, and I'm gonna tell you about these two gay couples. Mm-hmm. One of them, um, these two ladies that are just precious and dear to my wife and I, they don't, they don't have any interest necessarily in adopting kids, but they just want to Uh help them. And they have taken two sets of kids, one set that has been from foster family to foster family to foster family. Mm -hmm. And they took them and gave them stability. Mm -hmm. They took another set of kids two two boys that were older that a lot of people wouldn't have wanted in their house took mm-hmm. them in, loved those kids, gave them structure, gave them gave them safety mm-hmm. for a year while their mom was trying to get off drugs. Mm. Let me tell you about the other ones. Here, here here's what blows my mind. There's one there's one uh the other two are is are a male couple. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten to know them, they took in a a Latino girl who mm-hmm. was a teenager who was also pregnant. Mm. They took her into their home. They loved this girl as if she was their own. The baby was born in their home. 
they love that mm. baby like it was a grandbaby. Mm-hmm. And when her mom and her family left the state and left her behind in the system, wow. Wow. they said, this is now your home. We're, we're going to do anything we can to support you. And meanwhile, while they're doing that, there's another boy that's been in the system for years. Mm-hmm. He's went from one family to another, and he never is there terribly long because mm-hmm. he ends up scaring the families that take him mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. He's just he, he's, he's not socially acceptable to some people. He scares other right. people, and they don't want to mess up their family dynamic. Here's right. these two guys. You know what they did? They adopted him. Mm. He's an older teenage boy. They took him in their home and they said, we want to, we want you to have a family. We want you to have a soft place to fall. We want you to have somewhere that you can call home and someone that you can call dad. Mm -hmm. And they adopted this boy when all these other people sent him packing from home to home. Mm. So I, I have watched this unfold over the last several years. Yeah. And now, whereas before when, when people would, would talk about gay people or lesbian people or whatever, Whereas mm-hmm. before there was this uh, faceless image in my mind right. of just these evil, sinful people. Mm-hmm. Now, when they talk about those people, I see my friends. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, the things that used to be so easily to dub as sinful mm-hmm. don't seem to matter near as much anymore. Right, right. And it, And again, it comes back to this identity issue because when we can see people as people, as opposed to, oh, those sinners. You know, like that's what they accuse Jesus of doing. You, he hangs around with sinners. Well, as soon as you label somebody else a sinner, you've put yourself above them. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've made yourself better than them. Instead of just saying, like, this, this is what I love. You look at Acts 17 where Paul's addressing this crowd of very obviously non-Christian people. And, you know, they have all these altars to all these different gods, and then they want to make sure they don't leave any deity, you know, miffed, so they build an altar to the unknown god. Paul comes in there, he says, I want to tell you about this unknown god. I'm going to tell you about the god you don't know. He refers to that that entire audience and really all of mankind as children of God. Mm. Mm. And it's, you know, people in our circles, Ray, people who are outside the box uh, often talk about, um, you know, God's image bearers and and seeing people as the image of God. This is a concept that has really changed a lot of my thinking too. Because if I look at people as, oh, they're lost or, oh, they're sinners or, oh, they're not one of us, then it becomes automatically a divisive thing. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. I can look at any human being and say, I see God. Uh, there's a great song by, um, I hope I get this right. I want to say Victor Wooten. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Um, called I Saw God the Other Day. And basically the entire song is about running into different people. People you would not even associate with anything related to God. And hearing the voice of God through them. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing the image of God in them. And he, the hook of the song, he says, I saw God the other day. He looked a lot like me. He looks a lot like you. Mm, wow. When we start to look at other people, and, and this is, you know, we, we started talking about politics at the top of the conversation. Um, I see so many people in the political system 
talking about our identity as Americans. And, you know, we deal with what's in America's best interest and what, what serves America's purpose and how America needs to do this or that in the rest of the world. When we look at ourselves as Americans, we immediately divide ourselves from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I am not an American as an identity. I am a human being who has citizenship in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not semantics. People go, oh, well, it's the same thing. You're saying the same thing. No, I'm not. What's the, uh, like, for example, um, an unrelated topic, but a a good example of this kind of language uh, that I'm talking about. In the area of special needs, there is a a huge push and a good one, I believe, to uh, what they call it um, person-first language. This is a person with special needs, not this is an autistic person person or this is a handicapped person you know it's not that the identity is not the handicap or the special mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. they are a person yeah. who has a need yeah we as christians and as and and in the evangelical circles especially need to learn something about that person first mm. language and to say you know i am a god bearer i am a an image of god who whatever Mm, mm. But my identity, and like, you know, Paul Paul says this beautifully. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin. In other words, that's not your identity. Mm. You're not a sinner. Consider yourselves alive in Christ. So my identity, we talked about this, I think, one time. Didn't we, Ray? Didn't we talk about this uh, this concept of, of finding our identity as Christ? Yeah, yeah. And and not, so I, I'm not saying anything new here necessarily, but it's it's extremely important in this this whole environment of, you know, battling homosexuality or, you know, whatever it is that the, is the hot topic of the day, if we can look at people who are different than us as people, mm then we're able to get close enough to love them. Mm. And I I have to say, your point about not being able to love people from a distance has incredibly powerful ramifications for our thoughts about God. Mm. Because Mm. if we can't love from a distance, how do we think God loved us from a distance? You mean Bette Midler wasn't right? No, she wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) She was absolutely wrong. God never. That's why I can't stand when people take a verse out of Ecclesiastes about here, you know, you're God in heaven, here I am on earth, and so I'll let my words be few. That's not the truth at all. Yeah, yeah. God is not distant, and he never was. Mm. He is the same God who came into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? I, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, hear the Peter Inns episode. But, I have not yet. But no. um, he said something that was just, oh, man, was just so powerful to me. He, he says that incarnation is God's MO, that uh-huh. God's, that, that the way, period, that God reveals himself to man is incarnation. Yeah. That, that is the way. And so, yeah. therefore... Not only, you know, it took God becoming one of us and coming into our midst right. to actually love us, but that that's how we have to, that's how we have to reveal God to other people. We can't reveal God to other people apart from incarnation. Right. That, you know, when you, when 
you that's this is such the crazy thing to me about conservative evangelicalism is we're going to continue to say we love the sinner hate the sin we're mm-hmm. going to continue to preach to these people but Mm-mm. we don't want to sit down and eat a meal with them right we don't want to actually um take care of their kids we don't right. want to sit down and watch a movie together. We don't mm-hmm. want to get involved in their lives and, and find out. And I think part of it, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it is for fear yep. that there's some sort of contagion in them <laughs> that's, that's going right. to get in the air and all of a sudden it's going to turn us into sinners. And it's like, you know, here, here's my question. Is the Holy Spirit in you more powerful than any sin that's in the world? Or right. is that sin more powerful than the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of you? Right. Because I think we've got to get that figured out before we're willing to do anything. Because I think so many of us, Steve, think yeah. that gay people and and uh, you name it, whatever else we want to say, that they've got the cooties. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm at the place of, you know, I don't, I, you know, is homosexuality sin? I'll be honest, and, and this sounds crazy to a lot of people, but, you know, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't right. know anymore. I don't know if it is or not. But you know what? I almost don't even care. Right, because that's not the issue. Because I don't struggle with it. Yeah. I don't, you know, and when I say struggle with it to to my <laughs> gay friends, I, you know, I'm not saying by that, it's not a masked way to say I think you're living in sin. That's not right. That's right. not what I'm saying, but I'm saying I don't have homosexual tendencies. So yeah. for me, it's a non-issue. Therefore, why is it necessary for me to come to some sort of consensus? Because what I hear Jesus saying with that whole, you know, log in your own eye, speck in your brother's eye, what I hear him saying is not only take the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's, but mm-hmm. maybe even more so what he's saying is whatever your sin is, no matter how insignificant you think it is, view mm. it as a, as a two before. Right. And then right. look at your neighbor's sin. And no matter how grievous you think it is and how big you think it is, view that as a speck. Uh-huh. So that when you look at sin... If you're going to have any conversation about sin, let it always be an in-house conversation about your own sin. Right. Let it always be about, it's like, it's like those, the woman caught in adultery and those guys gathered around to stone her. Jesus uh-huh. looks around and it's like, forget this woman's sin. You think it's so bad. You think it's so grievous, but look at right. yourself, look in the mirror and then see if you can still stone her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there's. There's a lot of fear involved in the the current climate of judging people, and you know, because like, for example, when when I hear people talk about the whole gay marriage issue here in the United States, and uh, let me just say, it's apologies to our foreign listeners because we're we're definitely talking very American centric tonight. Um, but when I when I hear conversations and and hear the rhetoric surrounding the whole issue of gay marriage and uh, civil unions and all that kind of stuff. It's not. It's not even so much that the argument is that we believe homosexuality is wrong, because if that were the point, we wouldn't talk about marriage being under attack. Yeah, we wouldn't talk about the need to protect marriage. It's a fear thing. It's it's a fear that somehow, you know, like I remember a conversation I was having with someone, and they said, well. You know, what would you do if, if they told you that your marriage to Christie was no longer valid because you're not gay? I, that's not an issue for me. First of all, it's a stupid hypothetical. Yeah, I can't imagine but, that ever happening. Uh, yeah, but even so, you know, I'll go back to my statement about who defines marriage. 
I'm only concerned about where I stand before God. I'm not worried about what other people's relationships are. You know, that's between them and God. And if God wants to bless that union, that's his prerogative. And even if a church doesn't want to accept homosexual marriage, if it's a state thing, just leave it to the state. You know, who cares? You can do whatever you want in your church. You can call it whatever you want. You can refuse to to view it as marriage. You're going to end up judging people. You're going to end up pushing people away. I drove past a church near here not too long ago, and they had on their sign, don't judge someone else just because they sin differently than you. And I thought, yeah, that sounds really good, but how how many gay people are allowed to attend that church? Right, (laughs) exactly. Because when it comes down to it, churches do what they, that's what they do best is judge people. Because well, they think they sin differently. It's you know it's still said that the most segregated hour in the week is is on Sunday morning from eleven to twelve. You yeah, know, and that used to be a racial thing, but it's not just it's, about race. It's everything. It's politics. It's, it's sexual yeah. orientation, and it's still race. It, it, that's still yeah. there. Too. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I didn't mean to imply it wasn't race. I'm just saying no, it, it no longer didn't. applies only to race. No, it's it's definitely an all inclusive thing because anymore, yeah. you know, if you want to be if you want to be part of us, you got to vote a certain way. You yep. gotta, you gotta think a certain way, and you gotta have a certain color skin. You gotta, you know, and and uh, you know that's speaking in hyperbole because some places aren't like that. But I guarantee that most places have at least one of those <laughs> in there. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it just goes down. It goes down once again to the nature of God. Mm-hmm. Does God love us all? Did right. God create us all? And is the image of God still found in everyone? Mm-hmm. Is it marred beyond repair? Is it is it absent from certain people, or is it in everyone? And if it's in everyone, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it raises a lot of questions about how we interact with others. Right, right. And and see, that's what's changed my thinking so much because I look at people and I say they're they're image bearers. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's not. And it's not about glossing over our differences. It's almost more about embracing our differences because if somebody's different than me, but they're still an image bearer, then that means that God's way bigger than just me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. There's there's way more complexity to who God is because I look around and go, it's not homogenous. Everybody doesn't look the same. Everybody doesn't act the same. Mm. Everybody doesn't think the same. And yet we're all children of God. We're all cut from that same cloth and it it, the the more that we can find common ground and i see this is all as we talk about this ray i realize this is all the stuff that evangelicals absolutely hate because common ground means compromise to them common ground means being soft on something or you know like i I remember when uh do you remember because you're a little bit younger than I am, but you probably remember because you've worked in the industry so long, the all the furor over um, the late Chuck Colson and some others uh, forming this group called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And and they, their basic premise was we can work together for social purposes, for uh, not social purposes, that sounds like you're scheduling a dance. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we can work together for, for social change and... and you know, change in in the the government and all that kind of stuff, and even just with that, 
there were so many Christians that were up in arms about it. Oh, I, re- I remember yeah, John Ankerberg. I remember John Ankerberg. Oh, a yeah. Show with, uh, what was it, John <laughs> MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and D. James Kennedy, where they were saying, you know, can we bridge that divide? And kind of the consensus was no. You know, no. The, yeah. <laughs> the Protestant Reformation happened, and we can't go back. And yeah. Can't go back. That's right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's like you're, you know, peeing on Luther's grave or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the the sense in which, you know, we can't relate to other people. We have to draw these boundaries, which really comes out of, a, a you know, the, the fundamentalism of the early 20th century and uh, this whole notion that we have to draw lines in the sand. We, yeah. we have to define who we are. And so every church has these distinctives and, you know, what sets us apart from everybody else. And all it does is lead to more and more division. See, you just said it. That That's the thing. What sets us apart from everyone yeah. else? In other words, our... Which is I- the opposite of incarnation. Our identity is defined by what by what, and who we're opposed to. Uh-huh. It's an oppositional identity founded in hostility. It's founded right. on the idea that I'm different than you, therefore I have to separate from you. Which is why Romney's Mormonism doesn't matter all of a sudden to evangelicals because he's against Obama and they're against Obama. Right, right. It's not what he stands for. It's what nope. he stands against. It's what he's against. Because the thing is, is if he held the exact same policies with the exception of two or three, if he mm-hmm. held all the exact same policies as Obama with the exception of those two or three, those two or three are going to be the sticking points. Yeah. It's not It's not what we have in common. It's what we're against. It's That's why, that's why evangelicals... You know, evangelicals can't be friends for the most part right. with gay people because all right. we can see is one or two things in their life that we are completely on a different page with. We can't see that we might root for the same ball team. We might right. both have kids that are, you know, we might, mm-hmm. might both be in the PTA and have kids in elementary school right. and go to the same park. You know, none of those things are valid because the one oppositional thing mm-hmm. is what defines the relationship. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think we, do, you know, denominations do that. I mean, uh, yeah. religions do that. It's like, it's like Christians and Muslims, you know, even, I mean, we, you mm-hmm. know, we can't work together because, oh, we've got this, we've got this one area that we just completely disagree on. Forget the 14,000 other ways right. that we'd like to see <laughs> justice done. And we'd like to yeah. see poor people fed and, you know, forget yeah. those things. Those things are irrelevant because we've got this oppositional and hostile identity. And that's the thing. So you were using these examples of, of the gay couples that you know, and I think I know one of the ones you were talking about uh, from our experience in foster care in the same county. Uh, the 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 examples that you gave are awesome because you're talking about people who are meeting real needs yes. in real people. And I cannot help but believe, Ray, that this is part of what Jesus was getting at when he said people are going to stand in front of him at the end and say, when did we do all these things to you? Yeah, yeah. It's not a doctrinal and he says, exam, is it? No, exactly. It's what did you live out? And, you know, I, I just, I, I think there are so many people. It's like, here's the irony, and it it's almost comical in a way, because if I say that I get this, then it means apparently in my logic that I don't get it. But here's the irony. If you think that you're doing good for God... You're not, <laughs> wow. and if you if you don't think that you're doing anything special, you are. <laughs> mm, mm, you know what I mean. Mm. So now that I've figured it out, I'm apparently on the side now of not doing it for him. But it's 
it's like uh, I I don't know if you ever watch uh, Stephen Colbert, but he did this great analysis of the the pop song. Um, I think it's One Direction. Um, you don't know you're beautiful, uh-huh. and, it, and it says you don't know you're beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. And he went off on this whole logical progression of well, now she knows <laughs> that she's beautiful, which means that she's not beautiful. You ruined it. <laughs> you ruined yeah. it. <laughs> it just becomes this great, you know, paradox. Um, but but I think what Jesus is pointing out is that the the way to follow him is not about believing certain things. It's what do you do with yes, that? Yes. Do you value other human beings enough to give them cold water? To you know, and James talks about it too, where he says, if you if somebody comes to you and asks for food and for clothing, and you say, go and be warm and be fed, but you don't do anything for them, your faith is dead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yet, exactly what evangelicalism does by and large is says, who gives a flip about the poor? We're going to judge them because they probably deserve it anyway. You know, it's the 47% that Romney oh, talks about that aren't going to take responsibility for their actions, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how the church views the world. I mean, let's be really honest about it. That's what gets taught a lot. Well, it's just like, you know, Steve, it really bothers me that, you know, for instance, let's take Roe v. Wade. Uh-huh. I am against abortion. I am I am a pro-lifer. A consistent pro-lifer, I like to call it, yes. because I'm, I'm yeah, against I know. I like war, that. and I'm against capital punishment as well. So I'm there against anything that takes human life. Yep. But here's the thing that's crazy to me. You know, 40, what, Roe v. Wade was, what, 40 years ago? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So in those 40 years, not one single pro-life candidate that's made all these promises has ever really done much about Roe v. Wade. They've done nothing about it. Yet we continue to focus on it, but yep. we can't rally around someone who will uh, who will do things to alleviate poverty, right? Which actually could decrease the number of abortions. Exactly. To empower young women uh, with, say, contraception. If you know mm-hmm. they're going to be having sex, we're totally mm-hmm. against. It's like it's like the evangelicals. Did we not get the birds and the bees talk? You know, because it's like <laughs> it's like we we hate abortion, but we totally forbid contraception. Right. We don't want sex education in the in the public right. schools. Right. You know, it's like anything that it, to me it's, we're repressed, and we want everybody else to be. And repressed we want everybody <laughs> else to be repressed too. And and my thing is, come on, people, let's let's get with let's get with the twenty first century, and yeah. realize that there are practical steps we can take. To get mm-hmm. towards the goal that we have in mind, right? But well, and we, again, it, it's it's this whole notion of trying to clean people up to bring them to God. Exactly, exactly. We've got to get people to stop having sex so that they'll be more acceptable to God. Well, that, it's baloney. It's like it's like you know somebody was somebody was giving a perfect example. You got a refugee camp. You've got literally tens of thousands of people at times in a refuge stuck in a refugee camp with mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do to occupy their time. They don't have work. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. in small little huts. You know, there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So, so many of them, they're, they're, and, and this is true for the homeless population too. Um, Dr. Richard Beck down at Abilene Christian um, University, University. Mm-hmm. he put some stuff on his blog about this that just, I went, oh my gosh, you're so right. I think in his case, he was talking about homeless people that were in his city and they were talking about what to do about the homeless population and contraception and this kind of thing. Because he said, Mm -hmm. these people, they don't have jobs. They live in small little places and they, and the biggest thing they struggle with 
is not mm-hmm. the lack of food. It's not the lack of shelter. It's boredom. Mm-hmm. So to fill that boredom so much of the time, they're having sex. That's what mm-hmm. they're doing. Mm-hmm. So we can either, you know, plug our ears, close our right. eyes and say, well, we're not giving you contraception because all we're going to do is encourage you. Right. Or we could actually realize that we don't have that kind of power. Right. And say, you know what? We love you where we're at, where you're at. And mm-hmm. we want to take you by the hand and lead you out of this. And hey, mm-hmm. here, here in the meantime, here's something that can help you to ensure that this doesn't go worse than it really should. Right. But we're so absolutist. And we're so, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus took people by the hand. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had a friend that he was on drugs. He was sleeping around with all these different women and, and who knows what else. And the, he, he came to the Lord and the only thing the Lord dealt with him on was you got to quit with all the women. You got to keep it mm-hmm. in your pants. But he would <laughs> sit around and he'd read his Bible and roll joints on top of his Bible while he was reading it. <laughs> but, you know, God was completely gracious with him and took him by the hand and took him mm-hmm. step by step down that road of sanctification. Yeah. And it's like, we're not will We don't have the patience to do that. We just no, want to no. jerk people from A to Z. Right. And if you can't get to Z with me by tomorrow, then I'm not starting with you. And you're just, you know, you're on the highway to hell. Exactly. Or I'll give you a, a, an example of a different problem related to this too. We're talking about this whole notion of not actually meeting people's real needs. Um, you know, I, and I've actually witnessed this firsthand uh, working in a church that had these inane policies in place uh, as to how they would help people who were in need. And if someone came to the church and said, I have a need, they would turn around and literally, literally say to that person, well, I'll tell you what, you show us for the next few weeks that you could be faithful in attending church services. And if we see you being faithful, then you come back and we'll help you with your need. Now, somebody comes to the church needing food, and you're going to tell them, let me see how faithful you are for the next three weeks, and then we'll feed you. Huh. That just doesn't even add up. No, it doesn't. And, and, and I'm telling you, I witnessed that firsthand. Wow. And there was one time, I, uh, we were in the middle of a band rehearsal one time, and this guy wandered into the church, and uh, he said that he needed, he was trying to get a job, and he needed an ID card. He didn't have a driver's license or anything. And so he was wondering if somebody could give him money to go to the DMV the next day and get an ID card so he could get a job. And everybody in that group were like, yeah, whatever. You just want the money for drugs. You just want it for alcohol. You don't need an ID card. Forget that whole believe in the best thing, huh? And I said to the guy, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give you the money for the ID card, but I will meet you first thing tomorrow morning when DMV opens. And I will take you in there and I will buy your ID card for you. Wow. Wow. And he said, okay, I'll see you in the morning. And he turned and walked out and everybody was like, he's not going to show up. I said, I don't care. That's not my problem. Yeah. I'm going to be yeah. there. That's right. That's right. And I went to the DMV at 830 the next morning and I sat there for about two hours waiting for him. He never showed up. But you know what? That wasn't my problem. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, Steve, is so many people, all they want to know is that somebody believes in them. Yeah. How are they going to trust that God believes in them if nobody else shows that they can believe in them? 
Right, because again, if we are the incarnation, right, if we're how God reveals himself to them, then we have to allow ourselves to be the incarnation. This is this is why the whole oppositional identity, the hostility, mm-hmm. nonviolence, all these things we're talking about, this is why to me they're so important is because they're a direct reflection yes. upon the character of God. Because yes. when we live those things out towards other people, then mm-hmm. as followers of Christ, it's automatically assumed, well, this is how God feels about me too. Right. You know, if the, I mean, I've seen that time and time again. If If you treat people a certain way, they mm-hmm. automatically take it as, okay, well, this is, you know, I mean, what I mean is if you're a representative of God, if you represent Uh God in someone's life, if they know you're a believer in Jesus, then like it or not, so many times you have the power to determine what they believe about God by Mm -hmm. what they believe about you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And it's so important that we are reflecting him accurately. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and not imposing our own thoughts on him. Yeah. It's because, again, you know, we were talking about how God is not a distant God. He doesn't love us from a distance. He loves us very up close and personal. Mm -hmm. And that's how we need to treat other people. And he does it it in the midst of our junk. Yeah. He comes to us while we're in bed with a prostitute. He, He comes to us while we're, you know, at the at the bar having one too many drinks or mm-hmm. when we're, when we're at the crack house getting a hit, you know, or right. if we're in church judging someone else, mm-hmm. he loves mm-hmm. even, even the religious people. You know, I find yeah. myself, I find myself the people lately <laughs> that it's hard for me to love. I know what you're going to say. It's not all the people that it used to be. No, it's, it's the conservative evangelicals, the fundamentalists, yeah. I yeah. have, that's the people I have the hardest time loving anymore. I'm struggling with that too. I'll be honest. And I have to remind myself from time to time, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute. You know, cause I, I'll say things like that, you know, well, he'd be at the crack house. He'd be at the whorehouse. He'd be at, you know, here and there. It's like, oh yeah. You know what? He'd be beside that person that's sitting on the front row of the first Baptist church, judging everybody mm-hmm. else too. Mm-hmm. He'd be with them too. Yeah. He would love them too. And and yeah, would he would he let them know they've got their crap? You know what? He called out the Pharisees, but he always did it with yeah. a view to their repentance. Right. And that's a great point because I see everything that's taught by Jesus and later by Paul, when it talks about dealing with differences and dealing with people that we're judging, whether or not we even should be judging them, it's always with relationship in mind. Yeah, it's exactly. always with a reconciliation of that relationship. You know, it it's so weird because people talk about, oh, we need to take this seriously, and they'll point to, you know, uh, Matthew 18, where Jesus is like, you need to confront this, and you need to, you know. But if you look at what Jesus spells out, he doesn't say, if the person still doesn't listen to you, then just write them off. He says, now, granted, this is my interpretation, but I look at it this way. Jesus says, if you go to a person, if they don't listen to you, take somebody else with you. If they still don't listen to you, take it to the whole church. If they still don't listen to you, treat them like a tax collector. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? (laughs) He loved them. Made them disciples, didn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Took them in his inner circle. In my opinion, it's not about writing somebody off. It's, oh, okay, just realize that you're going to have to 
spend a little bit more time on this relationship, yeah. and you're going to have to build some ground so that the relationship can, re- relationship can be restored. Mm-hmm. Paul, when Paul talks about confronting someone, he says, you know, do it gently and do it with humility so that you yourself don't get caught up in this yeah. and, and, you know, try to help that person be restored. Restoration of the relationship is always the prime focus. And that's, that's the overarching story of, of Scripture, of what God did to us, is he restored that relationship. He did everything so that relationship could be restored. That was his goal. And we've twisted that into, oh, God was punishing us. Oh, God was making us pay for our sins. Oh, he was turning away from us. He ran away from us. He was distant from us. None of that's true. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Now, you read, he was loving us. You read Second Corinthians 5, and it encapsulates exactly what you're saying. It says that the, the ministry that's been given to us is yep. the ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation, which says, and it actually says this, it says, Here's what the ministry mm-hmm. of reconciliation is. Go around telling people mm-hmm. God's not holding your sins against you. He has been reconciled to you in Christ, so now you need to be reconciled to God. Right. I mean, it's all about the restoration. I mean, the golden mm-hmm. rule and the two greatest commandments are all yeah. about be reconciled to God and be yeah. reconciled to people. And hey, guess what? They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. To do one is to do the other. You can't yeah. parse it out and you can't separate it. So you can't not be reconciled to people and simultaneously say you're reconciled to God. Right. Leave exactly. Your, you know, Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar. If you think, if you got something against your brother, leave yep. your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then guess what? Come be reconciled to God. But that's the order. You got to do it with your brothers first. And that's he didn't the say just part. go off and start your own church. He didn't say start your twenty second thousand and one denomination, <laughs> did he? That's right. If you have something against your brother when you bring gifts to the altar, just leave, start your own church, and then you can worship in peace. Start your own church and make mm-hmm. sure to let them know that they're all going to hell because they didn't go with you to That's your new right. church. Right? I think that yes. was part of it, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and take as much of their congregation with you That's as right. you can. That's right. Yeah. Because we we you know, it's too hard to actually go win people. We've got to we've got to take yeah. some sheep with us. And it takes a lot of money to build the kingdom of God. It, it does, Steve. It takes a whole yeah. lot of money to build the kingdom. Everybody knows yeah. that. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that you can't, you know, there's just a few people out there that we've got to pay lots of money so that they can go around the world and make sure to do our work for us. That's right. So if you That's can't right. go, Steve, you at least need to finance the going. At least need to finance it, yeah. Come on, get with yep. it, brother. Get with it. We are way too sickeningly sweet in our sarcasm. You Make know that, that check payable to R A B O R. Oh, sorry, sorry. Right. Just want to spell no. It actually, for everybody. we're we're starting a new organization called Christians Against Secular Humanism, and you can just make your checks out to C A S H. I love that. Straight to cash, maybe straight to cash. That's right. <laughs> Christians Against Secular Humanism. That's so awesome. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's not original. I did not make that up, but and I think it's funny. You know what's probably sad is I find myself sometimes more, I don't know if it's sad, but I find myself <laughs> more sometimes identifying with the secular humanists than I do the Christians. <laughs> that's right. You know, it was so funny, it's sort of as a tangent to that, I'm, I'm off on tangents. Uh, we haven't talked about rabbit trails in a long time. but Rabbittrailpodcast.com. Uh, right. I wonder if that's still, I don't know how long Big C registered that for us. I'll have to check Big C, see if, it's, still... if it's expired, you need to go back and renew it, brother. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That wasn't a message from God. And do not make that check payable to 
Christians against awful. secular humanism. Sorry. That's right. Um, but no, it's, it's interesting. You know, I haven't had a chance to read Brian McLaren's latest book yet, but I've, I've got it on my Kindle, and I'm really interested in reading it. Um, but I was reading some of the reviews on Amazon, and this one really harsh reviewer talked about how, you know, Brian seems to think that we need to be nice to everybody, but he's not nice to evangelical Christians. And, you know, you can tell he's obviously filled with hatred for the people he left behind and all this stuff. And it, it was really interesting because in the midst of this whole review, the person leaving the review was basically acting out exactly what Brian was speaking out against. <laughs> and, and it was not lost on a lot of other people, too, because there were an immense amount of comments saying, you just proved his point. Gee, gee. <laughs> oh, man. Little plug here. That's actually next week we've got Brian on the podcast talking about that book. Is that coming up next week? Next I'm week. really looking forward to reading that book I, when I get a chance. I'm on my second time through it right now, and I tell you, that book has challenged me more than any other book this year. And when I say challenged, I mean in a very good way. Yeah. Stretching my brain and stretching my heart and making me mm-hmm. really uh, have to reexamine what I think about the other, what I think about the yeah. one that's, who's not like me and who's never right. going to believe like me and... um just really, really good stuff. And I got to say, people can say that Brian's bashing evangelicalism or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, I don't see it. I mean, mm. he is so soft-spoken yeah. and so gentle. And I've seen him engage. I've seen him engage evangelicals, very conservative evangelicals, in a very mild-mannered tone, a self-effacing tone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just don't see it. You know, yeah. people can say what they want to, but I don't see it. Well, and in the same way that you and I just expressed that, you know, sometimes the challenge for us is is showing love towards conservative evangelicals. Um, I'm sure that that Brian has that same oh, sure. struggle. Sure, you yeah. Know, don't we all? It, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's real easy to to feel the most harsh about the the people that you've come out of. You yeah. Know? Um. And, and I've I've gone through a lot of waves of that in the last, uh, oh, how many years has it been now? I've lost track that I've been outside the institution. There are times where I feel a very soft spot in my heart toward the institution and other times when I, d- I just want to see the whole thing go away, you know. Yeah. Um, because it, there's so much damage being done. And, and it's not just, like, I used to be concerned about the damage that was being done inside the church. Now, especially during this per- particular presidential election, I'm becoming more and more concerned about the damage that's being done by the church to the outside world. Yeah. And and just the, the polarization that is taking place by people feeling like they have to make these strong statements. You know, it's, uh, I just, I don't, I, I don't understand what Bible they're reading. I don't understand what Jesus they're following. Yeah. Well, and, and actually what you just said Really, and I've got to be careful here. I don't even know how mm-hmm. to say this, but this is what's in my heart is sometimes I wonder, you know, it's kind of like what you said about the way Jesus said, um, you know, there's going to be certain people that are going to say, Lord, didn't we do this or do that? Right. Or, right. or like he's, or, or, you know, Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you mm-hmm. hungry? And, and, you know, in other words, we were looking, but we didn't see you. Or right. the other thing is, you know, there, Jesus said there's going to be many, many who say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick or whatever? And I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I never knew you. Depart right. from me. I never knew you. 
you know, I have to wonder sometimes if what we call the church Mm -hmm. really has anything to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. If Christianity Mm -hmm. has, if Christianity has become an offshoot of the message of Jesus that really looks nothing like the message of Jesus anymore. Right. Right. I mean, I hate, I don't want to, I'm not really trying to say that at all in a judgmental way. I'm just saying these are the, these are the things I think about is, Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus is, when you look at Jesus's parables, they so upend, you know, 2000 years removed from them. We sometimes forget how crazy and radical and, and earth to a Jewish audience. I mean, yeah. for Jesus to take and make the hero of the story exactly. a Samaritan who yeah. theologically was a heretic, <clears throat> yep. you know, and, and huge. I mean, that was just earth shattering, you know, yeah. for Jesus to look at a Syrophoenician woman and say, woman, great is your faith. And guess what? Your faith yeah. is greater than anybody else I've seen in Israel. What? Right. Yeah. This is a Syrophoenician woman who, who believed in, you know, totally heathen, heathen ideas and pagan ideas. And all of a sudden you're saying that her faith is greater than the people in Israel. Right. It's like we forget sometimes how crazy topsy turvy Jesus's message was. And sometimes I think not to put ourselves in the same category, but sometimes I wonder if some of the things like that we are, some of the inklings that we're feeling and some of the directions Mm -hmm. that we're headed, it almost feels like, we're doing in some ways to Christianity what Jesus did in within Judaism. Right, right. That we're trying to say, look, try to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, and and that and that you're saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's the, un, you know, it's kind of like Jesus, you know, and Paul looking at the uncircumcised. I mean, Jesus says the the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they're beating you into the kingdom of heaven. They're getting right. in there before you. They're pressing right. in ahead of you. And sometimes I wonder if in our context, you know, it would be, you know, the, the drug addicts and the Muslims and Mm -hmm. the Hindus or whatever Mm. are pressing in the kingdom of God ahead of you. Right. I mean, I sometimes wonder if that's not the kind of language we need to convey just how radically different Jesus's message is than the domesticated version of it that we've Mm -hmm. received through Christianity. Well, and again, I'll go back to to what I said about you know the the gay couples that you referred to who are doing the work of Jesus. Right. Exactly. Uh, okay. They. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry, Steve. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That no, no, that's right. You you just brought to mind something I was wanting to say earlier, and I think I might have shared this before on the podcast. But when I was at the the Christian bookstore I work at, when I was there one day, I was um, I was behind the counter working on something and uh, a lady that I know who I'm friends with, it's, you know, sweet lady has been coming to the store for years. She came up to me and we were just making small talk and she happened to know that I was a foster parent. And so she just looked at me and just kind of, you know, thinking that she would find a mutual sounding board. She (laughs) said, "Um, you know, I found out that DSS actually has homosexual couples (laughs) that are licensed foster parents. And I just think that is so horrible. I mean, yeah. and yada, 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 on and on she That's goes. It. I'm giving my daughter back. That's, I can't. I can't yeah, right that. there, right there. Oh, <laughs> let, me, let me turn my papers over. You know, but it's like, you know, in her mind, that was such a deal breaker. Yep. 
Yep. And she just assumed I agreed with her and I wasn't, I didn't want to get into a whole mess of sure. talking about it. But here was the thing that really, the, I, the, the thought that went through my head that just so bothered me was, okay, I know you and I know you're not a foster parent. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, you've never had a kid that wasn't mm-hmm. born to you in your home, caring yep. for that child as if they were born to you. Mm-hmm. Until and and to my knowledge, you've never you've never went to an abortion clinic and offered to be an alternative to that mother who's sixteen or twenty, who's unwed and doesn't see another way out. You've never mm-hmm. offered her the opportunity to let that baby come into your home. Or right. to take her in, into your home until she can get on her feet. Right. So how dare you come yes. in here and self-righteously <clears throat> talk about someone who I personally know has mm-hmm. taken multiple kids into their home that Christians didn't want to touch. Mm-hmm. That Christians bounced out of their house. They've taken them in their home and given them love and given them a family. And you're going to tell me that they should not have the right to do that when you're not willing to pick up the ball that they would leave dropped. Exactly. Until you're willing to do that, you need to keep your mouth shut. If you're not willing to go, if you're not willing to go sign up, you need to Mm -hmm. shut up. If you're not willing to go to the abortion clinic, then you need to quit picketing it. If you, you know, it's to me, it's so hypocritical. And and mm-hmm. when I say this, I've got I've got four fingers pointing back at me right now because I can think of <laughs> things I talk about when it comes to poverty and different things that that I'm not right. acting on. And so it's convicting yeah. to me. But I tell you, the thing the thing that I think we've got to do is we've got to ask the hard questions of who really is furthering the kingdom of God, the one who right. talks about it, or the uh-huh. one who actually lives out the message of Jesus, uh-huh. the one who looks exactly. like Jesus, or the one who believes in Jesus. Exactly. Yep. And that's that's a distinction that you really can't downplay. No, it's a it's a a night and day distinction there, because you can't. I mean, it goes back again to this notion of telling someone, "I'll pray for you," or telling someone, "Be warm, be fed," and not lifting a finger to meet that need. You can't call that Jesus, right? Right, because that's not at all what Jesus did, and it, you know it's interesting because. You do see some some evidence during Jesus' time on earth that people were coming to him just to get a free meal. You know, I mean, he he makes that comment. He's like, well, you, you came so that you could have your, your tummies filled, basically. Yeah, yeah. He understood they weren't all there to hear what he had to say, but it didn't stop him from meeting their needs. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't stop him from feeding them. And I I think... We've got to stop. Not only do we have to stop judging people whose needs we could meet, but we need definitely need to stop judging the other people who are meeting those needs. Yeah, yeah. And stop saying, "Well, that person's," you know, they're like I, I heard. Oh my goodness! So many times I've heard Protestants. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, undermine the work of Mother Teresa. Yeah. By saying, yeah. "Well." But you don't realize she was doing that because that's how she thought she had to earn her salvation. <laughs> so it doesn't count. You tell me. No, don't even bother telling me. Go tell those people that she fed that it doesn't count. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. It did count because I I really believe that that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. He says she's, she's doing 
what he did. Well, and I think a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they hear us talk like this, they get scared because they think that we're getting into legalism or that we're leaving grace in the dust or whatever. Right. I mean, they automatically, but because I remember when I was at a place to talk and uh, one of the questions that somebody asked when it came to talking about nonviolence, this kind of thing, is they said, you know, the thing I'm scared of is you really sound legalistic. You, <laughs> oh, wow. You sound like, what you sound like is that you're you're creating a law that says you've got to do this or you got to do that. And I said, no, let me tell you what I think legalism is. Uh-huh. Legalism is when you do something as a means to try and earn God's love. Mm-hmm. Legalism is not morality. Right. Legalism right. is not following the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's called discipleship. <laughs> right. No, legalism is when I think that what I what that God's love for me is contingent upon how well I can obey his commands. Mm-hmm. But legal but legalism has nothing to do with the commands themselves. Yeah. And I think sometimes as evangelicals who've inherited the Protestant Reformation and the whole focus on grace versus law and all that Sometimes I think that we just completely miss the ethical vision of Jesus in the early church. We completely mm-hmm. miss uh, the call of Jesus to be a counterculture that that takes in uh, the unwanted, that feeds the ones who don't have that you know the, all this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we've we've just completely put that under the rubric of legalism. And grace is all about me just not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's a balance there that we might be yeah. missing, you know? Yeah, Sure, exactly. God loves you unconditionally, loves you no matter what. Okay, get that right. settled. Okay, we're there. Right. God loves you. Now, get off your butt and do something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I'm not saying God's going to love you less if you don't, but I'm saying, come on, people. My, right. my son, my love for him is not contingent on whether or not he picks up his toys, but that doesn't uh, mean I'm never going to ask him to pick up his toys. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and it, it's it, it, you definitely. I, I'll put it this way: somebody can can look like Jesus and not even believe in Jesus. Yeah, and I think that that's way better than the person who claims to believe in Jesus and doesn't look anything like Jesus. I think that's Paul's argument in Romans, don't you? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, who who is the real Jew? The one who has the law but doesn't right. do it, or the one who doesn't have the law but does it? Right, and and I think, and I think that's part of again getting back to James uh, saying faith without works is dead. I think that's a big part of it too. He's like, you know, you say that you have faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to tell you I have faith. I'm going to show you that I have faith because of the way I live my life. Yeah, you know, and and uh, where is it? It says, um, is it Peter that one of Peter's epistles that says. To always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Yeah, I I think this is the thing. When we live incarnationally, when we actually live like Jesus, and we actually carry out the things that Jesus talked about and the things that he did, he didn't just talk about it, he actually did it. When we live that way, at some point people are going to ask us questions. Yeah. We, we've turned that around so that we say, well, we need to tell them what we believe. We need to tell them what they need to believe before we ever even try to meet their needs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not... Meeting their needs was never conditioned on their belief. Mm-hmm. It was never conditioned on them having the right answers. 
Jesus met the needs before he even talked to them. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, when when people would stop, he's walking down the road and somebody says, you know, hey, I'm sick, come heal me. He doesn't give them a doctrinal questionnaire except to say, do you believe I can? Yeah, yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. And like, well, well yeah, I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't think so. You that's know? Right, that's right. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, okay, just, just checking. Here, here's your healing. Mm. You know, and then... That speaks for itself. Now he doesn't have to tell them who he is. Well, and the crazy thing is, like, half the time, they didn't ask for forgiveness. He just gave it to them. Yeah. I, mean, I know. I love that story with the paralytic that was lowered down through the roof. Yeah. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, what's he talking about? He goes, well, let, let me show you what I'm talking about. Get up and walk. He's like, that guy never asked for forgiveness that we know of. And there's a lot of other right. people that they didn't, too. But he's like, your sins right. are forgiven. You're healed. Go in peace. And it's like... But wait yeah. a minute, which here, here's where it begs the question, are sins forgiven because because you ask for it or are they forgiven because of the character of God? Uh-huh. Because what used to always bother me, and I know I've said this before, but what used to always bother me is I was like, it's just not fair that God tells me to forgive everybody and I can't hold anything against anybody. Right. But I, the only way I can get forgiveness is if I ask for it. Uh-huh. I always used to think, man, that just doesn't make sense. And it's right. And it it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's, so, it's totally stupid. It's like yeah. forgiveness is not contingent on me. It's contingent on the one I've transgressed against. Right. And that's right. God. So mm-hmm. forgiveness is all about him. And it's like, that, yeah. that's to me, Steve, that's why we've got to get over ourselves. Evangelicalism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and post-Protestantism mm-hmm. is, is really narcissistic. Yes, it's all about so. you know. I got to make sure I'm. I've got enough grace, and that God loves me. And right. it's like, get over yourself. God loves you. Mm-hmm. God loves you. He cannot mm-hmm. love you more. He cannot. He He loves you as much as He ever will. And nothing you could ever do could make Him love you more. Nothing you could ever do could make Him love you less. Get right. that settled. When you get that, that settled, is. then all these questions about legalism and all that mm-hmm. stuff go away, and you can actually just follow Jesus. Right. See, and this is this is why to to bring it back to the political spectrum. This is why the whole notion that we have to somehow outlaw certain things or or you know set boundaries on certain things completely misses the point. Mm-hmm. That's not at all how God affects change in the world. You don't affect. I mean, Paul makes it very clear. the 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 only thing the law showed us was that we sinned. Yep. And in fact, he he goes so far as to say, I wouldn't have even known what sin was if the law didn't say, don't do it. Yep. So it's not, it never was anything to save people. It wasn't given for that reason. And for us to try to legislate the kingdom of God into existence is to completely miss the point of that kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because you, you cannot legislate it into existence. That's right. That's right. It can only come from within, and it can because that's where it is. It can only, you know, true reciprocal love back to God can only come from a from a heart that's not motivated by fear. Right. You know, if as long as fear's there, you never yeah. really know if you love God or if you're just appeasing Him because you're scared He's going to kick the crap out of you if if you right. transgress Him. And so you don't feel confident in His love. Right. So you don't feel confident in His love. But the minute that the minute that the fear of punishment is removed, 
mm-hmm. then your true heart is revealed as to whether or not you love God. Yeah. The question is not, does God love us? Yes. Right. Get, get that settled. He loves mm-hmm. us. The question is, do we love God? Right. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. The way I know you love me is if you do what I say. It's mm-hmm. not keep my commandments in a legalistic, you know. Right. Exactly. De- this is dependent on my salvation. It has nothing to do right. with that. It's if you love me, if you really love mm-hmm. me. I mean, if I love my wife, mm-hmm. then when she asks me to pick up milk from the grocery store on my way home, I'm going to do it. Right. Unless I forget. Now, that's a whole different issue. <laughs> yeah. You but know. even so, then, do, well, I, I don't want to get too personal, but do, <laughs> do you then live in fear that she's going to yell at you and, and hate you because well, you didn't do it? Yeah. yeah it's, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> oh, we'll have to start a whole other podcast. We'll start a whole other podcast on that. But, yeah. But, you know, no, it's, 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 it's so, it's so um, I just feel like since the Reformation, Mm-hmm. We've gotten so narcissistic about this whole thing. It's right. like, we just need to get over ourselves. God loves you. Okay, now move on. Yeah. 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 Well, Ray, I got to say two things. Number one, I'm getting tired, uh, and I need to wrap this up. And number, number two, two I, I've got a baby crying right now, so I'm going <laughs> to... Oh, you're going to have to go too. Well, then number three is, I don't know how you're going to title this episode. I have no idea what sums <laughs> this up, but... Uh, fascinating discussion as always, of course. And man, what a delight to chat with you. You too, brother. Hey, I'm going to let you wrap this episode up by yourself and I'll talk to you in just a moment. All right. That sounds good. Uh, So thanks for our listen, y'all. And here I go doing a bumper by myself, which we just said we hate doing. Um, But if you would like to uh, respond to this, you can comment on our, uh, on our blog page itself. I can't even talk. Uh, beyondtheboxpodcast.com in case you're not familiar with that uh, if you subscribe through iTunes or something else um, you can also interact on our Facebook page facebook.com slash beyondthebox uh, always great discussions taking place there uh, and and frequently discussions that have nothing to do with our, our podcast uh, episodes there's just you know people post questions and discuss them so you can do that um, also, if you go to our website, uh, if you ever want to leave us an audio comment, there's a little widget on our website over in the right-hand sidebar that you can click on to have our system call you. You put in your phone number, and uh, we use Google Voice um, as a, a voicemail system, and it'll call you, and you can leave us a message, and we'll get that message right away. Uh, Google tries to translate it for us, and, or transcribe it, I should say, into text, and that's often uh, very comical to uh, read on our end, but we listen to them to find out what you actually did say. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we appreciate your comments. We appreciate you listening. Uh, appreciate comments, positive and negative. You don't ever feel like you just can only comment if you agree with us. You're more than welcome to disagree with us, and we'll forgive you for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, we we take everything that's said to us very seriously, and uh, you're more than welcome to take issue with anything that we've talked about. I'm sure we made some comments in this particular episode that rubbed some people the wrong way, and uh, that's okay. We're all in, in process, and we're all in this journey together. So um, thanks so much for listening, and uh, I'm sure I speak for Ray in saying it's been great having you here with us. And we will talk to you next time on Beyond the Box.